Hello, my friends, and uh, welcome again to your increasingly favorite storytelling podcast, Tales from a Cult Insider. I am your host, Chief Storyteller, Happy Ice Cream Eater, German Chocolate Cake Eater, and current mourner, Jared Garrett. That's the end of today's opening script because we need to get right to this. I don't want to take any longer than 30 minutes. Today's episode was going to be Dallas Angry Beans which hopefully is an enigmatic title for you. Uh, just so you know what's coming, uh, the next episode after this will be Dallas Angry Beans. After that, we'll talk about rent money and what that has to do with the way I grew up, and then the last No Idea How to Mourn. Not the last, but the next one after that. So that's three episodes upcoming today. I need to talk about how powerfully stories affected my life. It's hard to quantify, qualify, describe just how important stories were in my life growing up in the Process Church of the Second Coming, which of course, which I, as I've mentioned, was called the Foundation Faith of God as I became aware of life around me. Currently, you should be hearing a, maybe a little bit of piano. One of my children is playing. They're supposed to practice before they do media, and I'm not going to stop them. Just before we get into the stories and uh, some stories about stories um, and how they important they were to me, I want to mention, of course, as always, your questions will be answered if you'll pose them. Please don't hesitate to ask. Uh, I did have um, somebody email me a question and ask me what my favorite book was growing up. I've talked, I think, about The Black Stallion and Bridge to Terabithia. All things considered, my favorite, my favorite set of stories growing up was The Black Stallion Stories. The Bridge to Terabithia, that novel, it affected me profoundly. And as I think back on it, I think about how um, how really indelibly it became a part of who I, who I am and who I was. Uh, j just the longing, there's a longing, a yearning in that book that really left its mark for me. But the Black Stallion series is definitely my, my more favorite series, at least growing up. I have, I have more favorites today. Uh, but that's an answer to your question. Thanks for asking that. I hope you're still here to, to listen. I know there's a large gap between episodes. We're going to work on shortening that. If you have a question, you can contact me at jared at jaredgarrett.com. If you are just curious and you just can't be bothered to email or, or even have me spell it out, just Google Jared Garrett, J-A-R-E-D space G-A-R-R-E-T-T. -T. I'm pretty much the first page as far as I know of results. Let's talk about a, <clears throat> about stories. Part of this, uh, we're going to call this a bonus episode, and even though it really will be episode six, is because, and this is going to make this not an, an eternal episode, is because Stan Lee died today. I'm not sad about his passing by any, I'm not joyful. I'm certainly happy that his, his discomfort, his pain is gone. He, even though a life with discomfort and pain is worth living, I'm glad that he was able to live his life as fully as he was. I'm delighted that he gets to be with his life, the love of his life, Joan. Um, I pray that his family can can be comforted during this time. That man and Ditko, they had they had such an impact on my life, such a strong impact on my life, and so did all these other writers that I'll probably mention a few. That I'm not entirely certain of how to feel. I feel loss that Stan has passed, but I feel so blessed 
that he lived in such a way that he, his imagination was, was allowed to just run wild. And not only his imagination, but his disciplined, forceful thinking and, and making sure that the stories he told were had integrity and had force of personality and reflected the world around us and had things to say about the world around us inside of the stories. It's not message fic. It's not message fiction when characters who we recognize are going through heroic and difficult moments and trying to become heroes and live true to what they're supposed to do and their potential. And at the same time, they're experiencing the world that we're experiencing. That's not message excuse me, that's not message fiction, that's real fiction, and grounding the stories of superheroes in a world that we are familiar with, like di like they did in with Spider-Man, with The Amazing Spider-Man, my favorite comic of all time, The Amazing Spider-Man. It, it, it was astonishing, it was revolutionary, it, it's what made the world become what it is today when it comes to the billion dollar billions of dollars movie industry of, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe that my children are obsessed with. And it's because of things like, and probably because of, The Amazing Spider-Man and X-Men and The New Mutants. And my <clears throat> one of the ones that made the most impression on me was Teen Titans. I don't know why exactly. Teen Titans and New Mutants. Those two, I don't know what it was. But if you look at The New Mutants, they were... That was an eight-book, an eight-episode kind of mini-series, special series that had these outcasts, essentially these orphans, with special abilities, with special potential, and still not seen by the world around them, still not appreciated by the world around them, but full of hopes and dreams and feeling a kinship with each other, and but still having to fight you know, to, 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 to be seen by the people that they were with. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound familiar that there are orphans and they're trying to find their way in the world in a world that really doesn't know who they are, doesn't see them, doesn't, and the people that they're with don't even accept them? The New Mutants made a huge difference to me. But the one that sticks the most to me is The Amazing Sp Spider-Man. And that is because Peter Parker is me and is millions of other young men trying to find their way in the world, trying to define themselves in the world and identify who they really are and what's in, and how they're going to live their lives. And, of course, in Peter's case, radio, radioactive spider bit him and gave him these special powers. And he... They didn't define him. He didn't let powers define him. He let his choices define him. His choices to be good and heroic and to fight evil and to never stop and to never give up, even when tragedy hit him. That was inspiring to me. That was elevating. It lifted me from my own difficult circumstances of growing up in this cult and brought me into this world of imagination where heroes were real. Having that reality of true imagination kind of coming forth, springing forth, and making my own imagination fire up, that made all the difference to me. I have vivid memories of biking from Dickinson Avenue, the house called Dixie, up the road, across a busier road, up to Oak Lawn Library, the, the, the local library across from, I believe it was Tom Thumb. 
the, a big grocery store where we sometimes did bake sales, going to that place and, of course, reading every fantasy book they had, but also just aching for the next Spider-Man, the next amazing Spider-Man comic book to come out and being just swept away in this, these vivid, beautiful colors and these extraordinary stories of heroism, but also of love, of romance, of respect, of Peter learning to respect Mary Jane as a woman, as a person with her own goals and aspirations. Mary Jane, that character was written and drawn so wonderfully. And she was just real. It was just somehow on a, in a comic book, but real. And somehow Spider-Man was real, even though he there was no way he could be. He made me think that I, I really should take Spider to some nuclear reactor and throw it through some beam somewhere and then make sure my hand is right there for it to, for it to bite me or have it land on my neck. Thank you, Stan. I, your energy won't go away. Energy is forever. It can't. It just gets transformed. I hope that I transform your energy that I received from your incredible, contagious enthusiasm. I hope I transform it into stories. I hope that I can continue to use you as an inspiration and your stories as an inspiration for my own stories. But I know you hear this because I believe in an afterlife. Stan, thank you. You changed my life. You made heroes real to me, even though, of course, imagination, they were just imaginary, but they weren't just imaginary. They were real to me. They were real to me, and they made all the difference. Knowing that that in, in, in from the mind of you and, and your co-writers and your artists, these things were real, that you would produce these wonderful stories, and I'm blabbering, but it doesn't matter. You'd produce these wonderful stories. It was an escape for me, but it also meant that my imagination was real and valid. And the things that I was doing in my own imagination could be real and valid as well. And so they gave me hope and they gave me escape and they gave me a true understanding of what heroes are. Heroes aren't gods. They're not Hercules. They're not Zeus. They're people. They're people who are sometimes put in unusual and exceptional circumstances, but who make choices. And I have lots of thoughts on choices and being the chosen one, which is needs to go away, but being the choosing one. The her heroes today are the choosing ones. I know that's uh, awkward a little bit, but we're not the chosen one. The chosen one needs to go away. That's like monarchy. Heroes are the ones who choose to say, I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't, it's hard, but I'm not going to stop. I'll do this. I'll fix this, I'll fight this fight, I'll stand on this hill, I'll get between you and this evil actor, this evil villain of some kind, or this oncoming train, or whatever I need to do. So Stan Lee, this episode is not just dedicated to you, it is inspired by you. I mourn your loss, I rejoice in the legacy you left me, and millions and millions of other people around the world. And I cannot thank you enough from the heart of a kid who was growing up in a cult and needed some light in his life because of the darkness. It wasn't all dark, friends. Don't Please, please don't get, get that impression. But this light that Stan's stories brought to me and that his artists and co-writers brought to me, I think Steve Ditko was one of them. Thank you, Stan. Thank you. I will, I will do my best to carry that legacy along with all the other artists and creatives. I know that are out there. And I know that many of us feel the same way. It's interesting how growing up in a cult, 
such a unique situation, such an unusual situation in that, you know, not, not being raised by parents, even though my dad did his best here and there when he could, um, not having those loving, trusting relationships to fall back on. And others had similar situations, not necessarily in a cult, but just parentless or one parent um, or just other broken families or other issues in their lives. So many have had such a difficult time and so many have had comics resonate with them and stories resonate with people. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about stories and then we'll stop this episode. So I talked about The Black Stallion being my favorite book series. And it's interesting to, to, to for me to reflect on why. I think it was just be, in many ways because it was so vivid that that black horse, that incredible image in the way Farley, Walter Farley, the writer, would describe the wind streaming the black's hair back and, and, and the loving care that he put into the detail of how the black's head was shaped and how his tail would lift and how he would flow into the into the run and it became this smooth, beautiful gait and how Alec would almost become one with that horse. That, that it just caught me. It caught me and carried me away just like any other story, but even more. And I read that whole Black Stallion series at least twice before I was 14 or 15, I think. And then also the Flame, the Flame series, the Island Stallion in Flame and, you know, that whole uh, story arc. I read that and was like, what? And if you've read that series, you know what that what is all about. But I thought it was so cool. I loved it. So stories are huge for me. And stories are huge for my current uh, the way I deal with the way I grew up, the way I grew up is still a part of me, even though it doesn't, I mean, I don't think about it every day and I certainly don't wallow in it every day. I don't wallow in it at all, hopefully. Uh, of course, this podcast might look like a wallowing, but it's not. It's a, it's a sharing of story. Um, this is actually what we do when the other cult orphans and I get together is we tell stories a lot. I mean, we talk about our lives, but we tell stories. My wife and I recently were able to vacation in the same area that my brother and his wife and delightful little boy live. And so we spent one evening with them and we had some delicious food. Oh man, wonderful Indian food. Just just great flavors, all of it wonderful. And my brother and I, we, we talked a lot that night. And you know what we ended up talking about? We ended up talking about our childhood growing up and, you know, sharing our own stories and and. and kind of comparing notes on different experiences. And he he was three years older than me, still is, of course. But that means he was older and more aware of the world around him and around us. And so his take on a lot of the things that we were living through was is different. He leveled up in many ways uh, quicker than me, you could say, uh, in that, you know, he was older. And so he got done with the faith school um, situation quicker than me and graduated, technically graduated, uh, with, uh, or theoretically, you could say, graduated from it, and then went on to be in a quote-unquote adult in, the, in this cult. And when you're an adult in the cult, what that means, adult in a cult, it rhymes. That means that you have to go now and fundraise, be a funder, go out there and beg for money on the public streets, um, like in downtown Dallas and other places. And that's where my brother was for a while, and then in other places as well. But he also then started helping to publish the Best Friends magazine. And that... Um, that that was definitely more to his strengths. He he certainly learned a lot, and uh, his computer savvy was well used there. Um, in any case, we shared a lot of stories about growing up, about being in Dallas, 
about some other locations. And every time we talk and we tell these stories, I, I, I learn more about my own childhood. I get more details about how I grew up and the people who I grew up with. And these stories are critical to me. And they, they, they help me become more aware of who I was and where I was and who I am and how far I've come. And maybe how much farther I can go. That oral tradition of stories is great. The written tradition of stories is great. Let me tell you that stories are life-saving. Yes, they saved my sanity growing up. And yes, they save my imagination and sparked it. And I'm only one person. There are millions of people going to these movies and stuff. Stories capture. Story capture in a good way. And they and they expand us and they brighten us and they give us hope. And so if anybody ever tells you fiction is for weak minds and they're like, no, I, I don't read fiction. I only read true stuff. Fiction is true, you nuggets. Fiction is, is almost truer than, than biographies and autobiographies and textbooks because it's not trying to be accurate with the details, although it's telling you know stories that are accurate for the characters' details. It's telling these universal, wonderful, beautiful ideas and arcs that help us see, wait a second, if this hero can do this, if Harry Potter, if... Dirk Pitt from Clive Cussler, if, you know, Jesse from, from Bridge to Terabithia, if Alec from, from The Black Stallion, Hero in the Crown, and uh, Jessica Day George's books, and April and Pike's books, and all those great books, if these people, with their difficulties, and with their traumas, and with their challenges, can accomplish this, I think I can too. I think, because th their thoughts, and their feelings, and their, their second guessings, and their lack of confidence, that sounds just like me. And so they, they did it, but they did it. They overcame, and so I can too. Fiction can be more true than nonfiction. Fiction can be certainly more powerful than nonfiction. I remember some of the powerful nonfiction I've read. John Adams by David McCullough, astonishing. But that hasn't stuck with me as much as The Black Stallion has. And it hasn't stuck with me as much as like The Book Thief has. And other books that I've, obviously, Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, the Icewind Dale trilogy by R.A. Salvatore. While I adore John Adams, it's just not stuck with me the way those others have. Uh, it, it's, but it has stuck with me because it's still a story. It's told in a story way. It's told in a way that helps me see who John was growing up, uh, how he went through his life, the choices he made in his life. Uh, and, that, and that is the power of story, that it, it tells these stories that are specific to a single person or to a group of people, but they are truly in many ways universal. Um, and so it's, we've gone a little off a far afield from, from, uh, growing up in a cult. Um, but I'll end by telling you a story of growing up in, in the cult that really doesn't necessarily fit anywhere else. And that is how I learned to build a bicycle. So when I was about seven or eight, my father, um, he, he came to Denver which is where I was at the time. And he, it turns out that he was actually trying hard to spend as much time as he could with me. And the cult was doing its best to not, but he would able, he was intermittently able to be where I was. And when he was where I was, he'd make sure to spend time with me, even if it was me being his assistant to do the work that he was doing, uh, which happened kind of a lot. Thanks dad. Um, in Denver, he happened 
he managed to be there. Not happened. I think it was by his intent. He managed to be there on my birthday. And so the morning after my birthday, um, it, it turned out he'd gotten me a used bike with whatever allowance he was able to save from being in the cult. Um, because the adults got allowances. The adults got allowances. So they could make their own personal um, purchases. So he, he had apparently saved some. And he went and bought me a, a, a used bike. Just a simple pedal used bike. One of those old small ones that you don't see a lot of anymore. They're, they're not a hand brake. You just push back on the pedal and, and you can stop. If you're going fast enough, you can push back, push backward on that pedal hard enough. You can get a really nice, really nice long rubber streak on the ground. Um, and he, uh, it needed some work. And so he taught me how to do some work on it, uh, repair a tube, pump up the tire, tighten some things up. And then he taught me how to ride that bike. And that bike lasted me for a couple of years. Uh, but then I outgrew it and I moved a couple of times and wound up in Dallas, uh, going to faith school like everybody. And at that point I didn't have a bike, but everybody else did. Everybody else would bike to faith school. I had to walk which is dumb, where I had to get on a crappy old bike that was too big for me and try to rickety my way over to school, which was not pleasant. Um, and so I decided that with all the bikes that were that were kind of broken down and left in the in the garage there in, at Dixie, maybe I could build my own. And so I looked through the piles and I thought, well, I think there really are enough parts here for me to do this. And I've got a wrench, a wrench and a screwdriver was all I had. I think that I can do this. And so I got this vision for what my bike would be. I, I had a vision that I would I would build this sweet, slick bike and it would be silent like a ninja. And I'd go and buy some black spray paint and I'd spray it, paint it all black so that it wouldn't glint and nobody could see me coming in the dark. And I'd be some sort of avenging, you know, a vigilante at night who would stop the bad guys. Yeah, growing up in a cult and I wanted to stop bad guys. Who doesn't? And why did I want to stop the bad guys? Because I was reading comic books and I was reading stories. So thank you again, Stan. So guess what I did? I found the best frame in all the junky bikes that were piled over there. And I said, this is my base. And then I found wheels that were the right fit, the right size, and that were not too bald. And I put those on it. And then I also replaced the handlebars completely because there were no, the handlebars on that original frame were just twisted or bad or something. Put new handlebars, and then I monkeyed up a good seat. It was a bit of a banana seat, kind of halfway between what you have today, the modern saddle and a, and a banana seat. And um, put it all together, tightened it all up, got the chain all lubed up and got it going. And guess what, guys? It worked. Uh, I had two different types of pedal, one on each side. That's okay. It still worked just fine. They weren't obviously from afar different. And then you know what I did? I covered up the moving parts and I saved up a couple of bucks of allowance and bought some black spray paint. And I spray painted it black. And I had my ninja bike. My vision had come to pass, guys. I built a ninja bike and I kept that thing oiled up and speedy and it was quiet. It was awesome. I'd zoom around at night, just a shadow that nobody could really get focus on. And they'd, they'd be like, oh, who's that super good? There must be some sort of super being on the bike stopping all the bad guys. So that's what I imagined at least. But I actually did make a really cool, badass, a silent black bike out of a bunch of spare parts. And guys, that was one of the coolest experiences growing up. Saying, you know what, I'm going to try to do a thing. And then having nobody who could make me stop. I mean, I don't think 
Jonathan or anybody of the other adults even knew that I did that. All of a sudden, one morning, they realized I had a bike. Yippee. Um, even if they, if they ever did realize I didn't have a bike, they, they didn't care. Um, but yeah, that was a fantastic accomplishment for me. Uh, making my own bike, essentially, from spare parts and painting it black and having it actually turn out as well as I'd, I'd visioned in, envisioned in my mind, that was pretty cool. And that kind of um, accomplishment is is also the kind of thing that kept me going through the cult, uh, kept me going through this difficult thing where I couldn't really depend on people and I didn't have adults that I had a loving relationship with. Um, I believe a couple of the kids laughed at me when they, when I told them that I was going to build my own bike, but their laughs were silenced. And that's kind of a victory, you know, that's a confidence builder. I would say that, you know, the vividness of that memory really tells me that it, it, it has been an important part of my life, an important part of building my confidence uh, in the cult growing up there. And so a uh, couple quick things to finish off today. Yeah, back then, little kids could buy spray paint. Pretty sure my kids can't buy spray paint anymore. Um, I remember when I was about 16 or 17 and being going into a, a place and being told I couldn't buy spray paint. And it turned out people were sniffing it. That's terrible. It, sound, it smelled horrible. I would never want to do that. But yeah, people did that. And so back then, the world was different, folks. Much different. And... Um, did I, a screwdriver and a wrench is all I needed? It's true. It's all I needed, guys. Um, just an adjustable wrench. You can do just about anything you need with an adjustable wrench and a, and a straight head screwdriver. And um, that's it for me today. Once again, this podcast episode is dedicated to Stan Lee, who passed away today, uh, November 12th, on Veterans, or the day we observed Veterans Day, although yesterday was really the Veterans Day. He served our country. He served in communications. During World War II, um, his code name was actually Playwright, which is kind of amazing and wonderful. Uh, I, if I'd ever met the man, I'm sure that I would have uh, gotten maybe a little verklempt. Um, I get, I got a little verklempt when I met Mercedes Lackey a few months ago. She, man, alive! There's my female author with the carrot, wonderful characters. Her Magic Spawn series, oh my, they blew my mind wide open. Thank you, Mercedes. Um, but Stan, this one's for you. Love you, man. Thank you so much for your stories. And not even secondarily, thank you so much for your enthusiasm, your passion, your dedication, your generosity in seeing so many fans, your incredible imagination. Thank you so much for de dedicating your life to what you love so much so that we could experience this. I, I just long to be able to do this something similar. And I know that I can. I know that I, if I will let my passion run wild and if I will work hard and practice and perfect the craft that I have of writing books, that I'll also be able to do something similar. I don't know if I'll ever have the legacy that you did, but I'm not going to say I'm not going to have that legacy. I don't think any of us should ever say we're not going to have that legacy. We should all plan on having an amazing legacy, my friends. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, all of you creators. Thank you, all of you artists, writers, artists of any kind, performers. Thank you so much for adding your art, your passion, your creativity to this world. This world needs your creativity. It will fix everything. That's how it's going to work. We're creators at our hearts. And just as a final note, I do write books, guys. I don't know if you noticed that, but I write a lot of books. I have six books published. I'm working on my seventh one to get published. I've got nine total written. Um... Go find them if you're interested, if you want to go read some cool uh, science fiction and fantasy action. They're good books, man. 
Uh, look for Beat and Push, book one and book two. The series is over. Those are good science fiction. You could read Beyond the Cabin. Beyond the Cabin is my novelization of growing up in the cult. Uh, it's a novelization in that the character is me, but he's going through, and he's going through everything I went through, but just what happened to me in 10 years happens to him in six years, and he's smarter about it eventually. There's a bit of romance too, which there didn't, there really wasn't a whole lot of that in my own life. Um, by design, of course, because that was inappropriate for the cult. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next time, episode seven, Dallas Angry Beans. This has been episode six, Excelsior, dedicated to Stan the Man Lee. This is Jared. I'm out of here.